Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and we're going to get right into it with my co-host here, Dale Dempsey. What's going on, Dale? Good day, and good day to all you listeners out in Cloudcast land, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us again, or welcome to you new listeners. Thanks for joining us. Today's going to be interesting. We're going to really talk about a topic that everyone's reading about, and that is sort of the M&A activity within the financial service space. And the big question is, is it going to continue? Is it a high? Is it over? The economy is starting to turn over, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It depends on who you talk to and which news station you listen to. But I thought there was an interesting article that came out from wealthmanager.com, and it was an article that really talked about a DeVos study and went into the decline. So year-to-date, the decline in M&A activity has come down, but it's still significantly higher than it has been over the last few years, and whether it's going to continue or not. If I just can read something it says here, and for those of you watching YouTube, yes, I'm putting on glasses because I'm getting a little older and I'm having a hard time reading. The first six months of 2022 saw a slight decline in M&A transactions compared to the previous two quarters, yet still represented the second most active six months on record at 31.7% over 2020-2021, which was 50% over the same period the years before. And so the question is that, or really what they talked about is that the activity is flattening out a little bit, but still very active. And we were just at a conference recently, an LPL conference, and a couple of the breakouts were focused on M&A activity, but there were some things that came out of it that people were talking about. One of them was, well, with the market being the way it is and choppy, is it going to slow down because aren't advisors and IARs at RIAs, don't they have to now focus on their clients? And in this study, it actually talks about that and says, despite the headwinds, the wealth management sector remains attractive to private equity and financial service buyers. Now, we've talked about the risks of private equity buyers, but there's still a tremendous amount of activity of RIAs buying other RIAs because there's some synergies. The age of financial advisors and principals at RIAs is getting older We've had some of the experience with that already. I mean, how many calls have we gotten where people are sort of just done and they just want to sell? It used to really focus more on like Q4, Q1, but we're just starting to see it across the entire year. I think one thing that's interesting, and I don't think it was in this article, so this is more or less just observation. What hasn't changed is the multiples on the cash flow. But what you do see change are the, really the terms on which the advisor is getting paid, meaning the multiples are going to stay the same, but now they're not demanding that they have some sort of protection from downside, like maybe six months ago, but they're looking for participation in upside risk because they know the market will turn at some point, especially over the next, I think, five years. I think that's most advisors' outlook on it. It's kind of interesting. It's a subtle way to think about it, but we're seeing not that much change in it. It's still active. It's still active, 
Part of the reason why I think that the M&A activity slowed down in the first six months, and to your point, it's not that the deals have changed, but many of the sales that were going down and being worked through, the buyers and the sellers had to go back to the table and sort of relook at the deals and put new parameters in. Downside protection, upside growth. I think that there are some deals where they're looking for the seller to stay on a little bit longer because they need that cohesiveness between the advisor and the client if this market gets choppy. It doesn't really talk about that in the article, but I do think that that's why M&A activity slowed down. It wasn't that it's turning off or there's a trend that's necessarily slowing down. I think in the first half of the year, buyers were going, oh, wait a minute, we need to relook at this deal with new numbers because we think the market's going to do X, Y, or Z. I'm not here to debate whether or not the market's going to trend down you know, 20 or 30%. Well, how about this though? So look, full disclosure, we work with some of the largest M&A advisory companies in the business. These are companies that are giving advice to private equity companies when they do deals. And what I've noticed when we run through Excel sheet or analysis pro formas, if you take a look at what your present value is today versus what it should be over five years, there's such a dramatic difference. The sell price today is fractional compared to if you're going to be in this business working really to sell in five years, it's just dramatically well, different. It, well, and that's think because the market it, should change, probably well, under, would change. You, know, you need to understand why you're selling your business and why buyers are looking to buy your business. They're looking to buy, and this is smart money, looking at the RIA and wealth management space as one of the top places to put their money. Why is that? Those people are pretty smart people. They're doing it because they know, to your point, five years from now, they're still going to be ahead of the game with good successful practices and the resources that they can put behind the firm that they purchase, which goes to one of my points that I've made routinely on this podcast about don't be in a rush to sell your business. If you have a good practice and you build a good team, which is part of what we'll talk about here, you're giving your business away. Like you're giving somebody else the growth of your business that you spent 20 years or more getting to. It's taking you 20 years to get it to where it is today. There's still a lot of run room away, especially if you have a strong team. Now, if you don't have a strong team and you're worn out and you're tired and you just don't want to take any more client calls anymore because you're fed up with them, then give us a call and we'll help you sell your firm, which has happened. We got a call last week from a $100 million RIA and he basically was like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'll take my money and run. Let somebody else manage the clients. I'm done. That's fine. I think some of the challenges inside of that, and we see this, this is way too common. It's really just preparing to sell. Right? Isn't there an old saying about, Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Sort of along right. those lines. I'm not saying you're maximizing your sale price, but you're increasing your sale price if you set up the right structures in your company ahead of time. So you have to be thinking about you as a potential buyer, but definitely you as a potential seller, because at some point that's inevitable that you're going to sell. It yeah, doesn't look, matter. One of the, we talk about, I'm going to maybe disagree a little bit in terms of valuations, in terms of that they're not changing. I think that they are changing for certain practices. The valuations, I think, are scaling down a little bit for those businesses 
that aren't prepared to really sell. They're not prepared because they never built the right infrastructure, management team, support staff, processes in place for their clients because those types of businesses that haven't done that yet are going to have a much harder time sustaining growth in a down market than businesses and business owners that have thought through that stuff and built a resilient practice. What I mean by that is if you have a business and you are just a sole practitioner and you don't have any processes in place, maybe you have a part-time assistant and maybe you're 90% fee-based or whatever it is, your business is not as valuable to a buyer as if you had a strong office manager and you had processes in place that do your client onboarding. You had the client experience processes in place that you can articulate to the buyer as to why those clients are never going to leave the business. Or if you haven't started thinking about a successor, because you can have a buyer, but still need an individual successor in the practice because a buyer is not going to just want you to sell the business to them and then walk away and have nobody there that the client already knows. The attrition rate is going to be much higher there. So if you had that kind of practice, you might expect to see valuation in your practice go down. But on the flip side, which is really, Dale, what you're talking about, is whether you want to sell in five years or more, or maybe just thinking about it, you have to operate as if you are going to sell. Meaning you have to operate as if you want to be able to have the choice five years from now to top ticket deal because you built the right business to get the top value, which means you have to have the right management team in place. How are you running money? Believe it or not, I know many of you out there as advisors feel like you're a great stock picker and you're a great portfolio manager, so you're going to run the money all by yourself. And you might be. Right. You might be a genius, but it actually hurts your valuation because it's not repeatable. When you sell and you leave, it's not repeatable. Well, but caveat to that. If you have somebody in your business who's learning and who's really going to be there to help run the money the way that your clients would expect it to be run, that helps your valuation. It does. What I'm really talking about is an individual stock picker versus a team at your firm. Exactly. Or you're using managed accounts, separately managed accounts, other portfolio managers that you're really just monitoring the asset allocations or somebody on your team is monitoring the asset allocations. The spreading out of the risk, spreading out of the responsibilities actually increases the value of your business. It doesn't decrease it. Most advisors feel like, oh, well, it's not replicatable. So I have a competitive advantage. You might or you might not. Depends on what you're looking at. So think about that stuff. A buyer is going to come in and they're going to want to know How are you running your business? What do your books look like? How many times have we talked to an advisor that wants to sell? And we're like, yeah, no problem. Give us your P&L and your balance sheet. And they're like, "Uh, yeah, I got to get that to you. I'm not really sure. If you want to be a serious seller, you have to have that stuff at your fingertips. So you have to have a good bookkeeper and accountant. And again, running your, I'll say a practice like an enterprise or a business, even if you're a single producer, you have to run it like any other business. If somebody asks me tomorrow, hey, I need your P&L and your balance sheet, I can go out right out and print it out to them and it's accurate. This is why if you're an employee coming from a large institution, i.e. wirehouse advisors, yeah, right. this is why you're not going to get as much as your 
RIA, IAR peers. Because you, yeah. you just don't. That's, don't get me even started on that. Right, exactly. You might have a team and you might have a lot of these things in place, but end of the day, you can't produce things up like a PL and give the buyer insight into what it is that they're actually buying. Because you don't know and they don't know until you've actually done it for a period of time. But yeah, but look, the, the, that's a whole nother valuations between W2s and 1099 independent RIAs is a whole nother topic. My point on this is be prepared and act as if, act as if someone with a big checkbook is going to come knocking on your door five years from now. And what are the things that they're going to want to see to maximize your deal? Yeah. I'll put it real simple. They want to see a team and they want to see efficiencies. And that's what's going to get you the most money. Now on the flip side, let's take it from the buyer's point of view. So from the buyer's point of view, you need to do the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. If you're a buyer, <laughs> right? And everybody wants to be a buyer. I think in one of the LPL breakouts, they said there's, I think you're right that I think it's I, low. I whispered, it's light. It's That's light. light. They were like 60 buyers for every one seller. Not even close. Right, exactly. So think about that if you're a buyer. You have to be prepared when you knock on that door and you say to somebody, are you interested in selling? And they say, yes. You have to be prepared to put together your plan and your value proposition as to why they should sell to you versus the other 59 competitors that are trying to buy that practice, which means from the seller's point of view, what's in it for them? Aside from the money, the money's important. We always say it's not about the money, but it's about the money. But what does a deal structure look like? How are they going to benefit from selling to you? What kind of resources are you going to give them to help them grow their business. If it's a partial sale, well, what does that look like? Are they going to be an owner in the bigger picture or are you going to invest back into their business so they're going to grow and make more money even though now they only own 51% of the business or 49%, whatever? That's a huge mistake that we see with people is that they all want to be buyers, but they don't have anything to show a seller. They don't have anything on their stats, on their company, why them, other than I'm going to pay you a lot of money. Often I see... What really, really gets you to this critical point are the softer things. Do they like you? Do they like the people that are around you that you've surrounded yourself with? Could they see your clients having that same sort of connection? And then there's this magical point where it's never about the money until it's all about the money. And you got to think about that too. Do you have the capital resources to make yourself competitive? Because if the softer things work, that's great. And maybe that gets you a discount. But you still have to get to the right price. They're not going to take a deep discount. You got to maybe yeah, look, even get creative. I mean, look, we're doing a deal ourselves. And all of the softer stuff lines up perfectly. It's going to be tremendous. And all the softer things line up. It's not about the money, but it's about the money. And so we just have to try to make sure that the money lines up. But in reality, the message is that when we approach this group, we were able to articulate to them, aside from the money, what value that they were going to get by joining our firm. And one of it was the money because the increased compensation, I mean, the increased revenue because of all the resources that we're providing to them is what translates into more business. That's what you as a buyer of an RIA or an independent broker-dealer practice need to be able to translate. I'm going to give you X amount of dollars, but more importantly, you're going to get more staff. You're going to get three financial planners. We have two traders on our team that you're going to be able to get access to. A friend of mine just brought somebody onto their team. And what he was able to articulate to them is with that individual advisor 
and his practice, the size of his practice was like four or $500,000. He wouldn't be able to afford to be able to have two traders, analysts, a financial planning specialist on their team, all of these people that will actually help him grow his business exponentially. And they were talking about valuations and comparing the difference in the valuations and why our client, my friend of mine, why his valuation was so much higher than the guy rolling in is because if the guy rolling in were to pay for all those things, he'd make no money. His right. business would have no value. And that's what we're talking about. Being able to articulate why you're a good buyer for a seller. Because there are some firms that are going to come in and just say, well, we're going to give you a check. But they're not talking about the softer stuff, how they're going to take care of Mrs. Jones, who's been your client for 25 years and whatever. Those are the things that I think are really important. I think the trend for mergers, M&A activity is still going to get really strong. I would argue that transitions are still going to get really strong. If the market continues to get choppy with interest rates rising, we all know that finally these banks are starting to make money on their cash balances. And some of them are being very smart about taking some of those dollars and reinvesting it in deals because it's not about the money, but it's about the money. So they're smart. Some of these lenders I've noticed also, so this is how hot, this is the evolution of this business really say hot, but there's so much activity going on. I've noticed some lending institutions are now creating or buying broker dealers to represent buy side, sell side advisors and giving them the ability to go beyond SBA loans so they can do a more customized loan. You're starting to see like the bigger investment bank sort of resources come into this space and or get recreated. It'll be more formalized. Capital. I mean, they're borrowing capital still at a lower rate. And then they're essentially becoming the bank and they're taking a spread because they know that even the spread that they're making or paying they know if they can bring that money in-house, they're going to make a lot more money on it. So they're being smart. I think the smart money is still being really active, being really creative, because this is a target-rich environment right now for buyers. If you're thinking about making a move or selling, or maybe you haven't thought about it in the past, but maybe down the road you were thinking about it, what I would tell you is to stop for a second, pause for a second, pick your head up, and have a conversation to see what deals look like right now, because you said it before, usually we have this type of conversation in like November, December, where firms are trying to cut last minute deals. That is sped up and they're doing it now. I mean, the calls that we would normally get in October, November, hey, a special offer, blue light special, where they're paying more money, more basis points on assets, all that stuff, but they got to be in by December 31st. We get those calls all the time every year. But at the end of the year, now we're getting those calls right now. Yeah, we're getting them throughout the year. Wirehouse firms, independent broker-dealers, they're stepping up because they understand the process can take more than a few months. And it's basically a race for assets. You just said something really interesting. I've been kind of like waiting, where can I get this in? Here's the thing. If you are a buyer, new buyer, let's say, and you're thinking about doing this and replicating it, you need to understand that this can go by in a flash, in a matter of months. Oh, yeah. So really one of the points we want to make to you is to be prepared to do these things as fast as you can because your competition's probably already done this multiple times. They have a lot of these things already thought through. Yeah. They, they, they have, have the answers. 
that the seller is looking for. So I'm not discouraging anyone from stepping into this market. What I'm saying is be very aware that this is mature. This is not just... If you're trying to be cute and you're trying to negotiate nickels and dimes, you're wasting your time and you're probably not a real buyer. What you need to understand is you might be paying a premium, a perceived premium for certain businesses. But I would tell you that I think you're buying these firms at a discount right now to where I think you can take the business. Don't haggle over pennies and nickels. If you're getting close and you have the fit, so you've identified the fit, the seller's identified you're a fit, things look great, culturally fit, those are really important things. If you have identified that those are real synergies within your business and the seller's business, don't mess around with trying to save a few dollars here and there. Just hit the bid because there's 59 other buyers right behind you that will step up and take that opportunity and you'll regret not being a little bit more aggressive and picking up that seller. So anyway, look, again, we can go off, we can go for another hour on this and one day maybe we'll do a longer show, but this is good for now. I think you guys get the idea of how Dale and I feel about this, what's going on right now. Speaking of, if you want to catch Frank in a longer format, reach out to me because he's going to speak on a panel with some firms that do M&A advisory work. You know, some of the largest firms. So reach out to Frank at Frank LaRosa at eliteconsultingpartners.com. The fact that you don't know my email, I guess, because I you know what it is. It's in the yeah. autocomplete. It's in the autocomplete. It's Frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com. I know. When it was coming out, I, yeah, I felt okay. wrong. That's all right. I'll forgive you this time. <laughs> but his phone number is 856-316-4651. Yep. I don't know yours? your... 4653. I'm 4653. Check out my Instagram at Elite. You'll see some stuff on there. You'll see these podcasts on there. You'll see our YouTube videos on there. You can go to YouTube Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa, and then we'll get out some information. Also, we send out a great newsletter. goes out every month with key things that have happened within the industry. Some of our podcasts are on there, so it's really great. So if you want to be included on our newsletter, just email me at frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com. We'll get you on the newsletter. It's very informative. My marketing person says that we have a huge click-through rate, sort of much higher than industry standard, because I make sure that the content, sort of like these podcasts, we want to make sure that the content that we send out to everybody out there is really relevant and educational and not some pitch to, don't get me wrong, if you want to move firms, call us and we'll help you move firms. But really, it's about us paying it forward and providing a level of education to advisors that we feel like you all need to be given, because I think sometimes people spin stories and I want you to know the truth about what I feel is going on in the industry. So anyway, with that said, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Thanks for watching. If you're on YouTube, we look forward to the next one. Take care. Great talk. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.